Psalms for tonight. We have 43 verses that we're going to go through tonight. And uh, that was actually, as I've been preparing for this message, uh, just the Word of God, just the verses are just, will speak to your heart. Um, before we get started, just want to let you know we've got the movie Polycarp, if you have not seen it. And I remember all the scenes back in the back warehouse. There's still one up there uh, where the proconsul, uh, the main guy, the proconsul, I forget, they got all these kind of crazy Roman names. He sits back in the corner, and it's still there, back in that corner where that red stripe is. Yeah. So as soon as he came up there, I'm like, it's still there. So some different people in there that you'll know. Um, but, you know, I, I watched it uh, yesterday, and it was really good. And what's interesting is it wasn't that long ago I was preaching on the churches, and in Revelation 2, the church at Smyrna, which was didn't have anything bad said about it, it was the martyred church. And this is 2nd century Smyrna. If you read Revelation 2, read about Smyrna. This is it, and they talk about fleeing to Ephesus, which is just south of them, and there's somebody from Ephesus and how the Word of God is getting through there. So it's kind of extra special um, looking through this. It's really challenging. It'll challenge your heart to take a stand for God. These people took some, some mighty stands. So we'll put that in the library, Katie. Mm -hmm. Maybe some re uh, show for tonight. All right, tonight's lesson is going to end our series on what every Christian ought to know. The first lesson was to know the Bible is the Word of God. The second lesson, the assurance of salvation. The third, eternal security. Fourth, what happens when a Christian sins. Fifth, how to handle temptation. Sixth, believer's baptism. Seven, how to discern the will of God. Eight, faith and how to have it. Nine, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Last week, the 10th lesson was on spiritual gifts, and the 11th lesson I'm skipping because it's a condensed version of what we've already been learning on Wednesdays. It's all about prayer, and it's dead on the same, same principles. So lesson 12 tonight will end where we started, and then we're going to be having a new series. You, probably, you guys have already spied it out, Goliath there. Peekers. Uh, <laughs> So, but tonight's lesson will be learning how to understand the Bible. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for the Word of God. We just sung about it in two songs, and the foundation, and, and the Bible stands, and, and what, a, what a wonderful book we have, what an exciting book. May we be challenged tonight uh, in our uh, reading and meditating and enjoying and loving the Word of God. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, I am going to... You okay with it, Tim? Tim, if he's going to come up here. I've got all the verses on here, and I just didn't want to have a lot of delays on going through verses because it just might really slow us down. So I'm pretty much going to read out of the book. I may stop from time to time. And Tim, it's just kind of like, uh, you know, the song leader and the piano player kind of have to just follow along when he decides to take a different turn all right <laughs> didn't know all that before you 
volunteered for. I volunteered you. <laughs> All right. All right. If you would read Psalm 119.18. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And uh, by the way, if you haven't followed, we're going left to right. One, two, three, A, B, C, and on down. A wise man once said, These hath God married, and no man shall part. Dust on the Bible, and draught in the heart. If you do not know, love, understand, practice, and obey the word of God, I can tell you without stutter, stammer, or apology that you are not a victorious Christian. As you read this chapter, I want you to learn how to study your Bible, how to make it burst a flame in your hand. Knowledge is power, and that's true in any realm, whether it's business, athletics, or theology. I want us to look at how to obtain knowledge from the word of God. People today need truth. Someone in Kenya once wrote this prayer. Lord, from the cowardice that dares not to face new truth, from the laziness that is contented with half-truth, from the arrogance which thinks he has all truth, Good Lord, deliver me. Amen. I hope that you'll never have cowardice and be afraid of the truth, that you'll not have laziness and accept half-truth, or that you will not have arrogance and think that you need no truth. It is knowledge. It is truth that transforms. A business sign read, We are not what we think we are, what we think we are. Did you understand that? You are what you think. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, so is he. If that is true, and if knowledge is power, we need the knowledge of the Word of God to have spiritual power. We need to be molded, motivated, and managed by the Word of God. And yet, for many people, the Bible remains a closed book, a mysterious book. They really don't understand it. There's no cheap way, no lazy way, no magical way to understand the Bible, but it is not impossible. As a matter of fact, it's joyful and thrilling. Psalm 119 is by far the longest psalm in the Bible. The writer of this psalm gives a number of statements about the Word of God. In fact, the entire psalm, well over 100 verses, is dealing with the Word of God to help us know and understand the Word of God. As you read this chapter, I want you to take note of three things. If you'll do these things, the Bible will burst a flame in your heart, in your mind, and in your life. And these are three main points going across the top, left, and right. Appreciate the virtues of the word of God, assimilate the vitality of the word of God, and appropriate the values of the word of God. Appreciate the values or the virtues of the word of God. If you don't appreciate the virtues of the word of God, you're not going to have any desire to learn his word or know it. Many people do not understand the great value and virtue of the word of God. You must appreciate the word of God. Psalm 119.89 says... Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The Bible is not the book of the month or even the book of the year. The Bible is not is the book of the ages. It is unchanging, timeless book. Psalm 119, 152 says, Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. God says that it is done. It is settled in heaven. Psalm 119, 160 says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous, righteous judgments endure forever. Other books come and go. The Bible is here to stay. Thousands of years have passed since the Bible was written. 
Empires have risen and fall, fallen. Civilizations have come and gone. Science has pushed back the frontiers of knowledge. And yet the Bible stands. Emperors have decreed the extermination of the Bible. And atheists have railed against the Bible. Agnostics have cynically sneered at the Bible. And liberals have moved heaven and earth to remove the miracles from the Bible. Materialists have simply ignored the Bible. But the Bible stands. That's interesting that we sung that song tonight. The Bible is settled in heaven. The late, great Dr. Robert G. Lee had this to say about the Bible. All of its enemies have not torn one hole in its holy vesture, nor stolen one flower from its wonderful garden, nor diluted one drop of honey from its abundant hive, nor broken one string on its thousand-stringed harp, nor drowned one sweet word in infidel ink. Dr. Lee was simply saying what God says about himself Psalm 119.89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. In the New Testament, 1 Peter 1.25 says, But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. The Bible is timeless, ultimate, indestructible. You okay back there, Abby? You need like a something. Is it getting on your sunburn? You Florida fleer you. <laughs> The Bible is truthful. Some, Psalm 119, 142 says, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. Verse 151 says, Thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. Then verse 160, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. In the Gospel of John, Pilate asked Jesus, What is truth John 18:38 Pilate saith unto him what is truth Jesus had already answered that question in John 17:17 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth When speaking to the Father he said your word is truth in a in a world that has lost its appreciation for truth you can say without stutter or stammer that the Bi that the Bible is truth um Greg Staten, a programmer at work, he's come in and he just gets so frustrated with the, the virus things and the way they're doing things. And he sees just, he says, he says, I've just, I don't believe anything or anybody I hear, you know, but I've got an opportunity. And I did tell him, you know, there is one thing that, that is truth, and that's the Bible. That's what we could say that. It's perfectly true. Today, there are all kinds of attacks on the truth of the Bible. There's frontal attacks of liberals who deny the truth of the Bible, but there's also an attack from the rear, which is perhaps more insidious. These are not the people who deny the truth of the Bible. These are the people that put their own experience over the word of God. They say, I know what I feel or what I think. Sometimes they'll even argue and say, I don't care what the Bible says. Let me tell you what I experienced. And I've experienced different people that tell me similar things things I've never forgotten, where a woman who was claimed to, to be a Christian said, well, I don't believe that part of the Bible. And another person who said, you know, I tried Christianity and it didn't work. <laughs> Paul had to deal with some of those people in Corinth. He said to them in 1 Corinthians 14, 37 through 38, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. 
Apparently, some people in Corinth ventured into charismatic hocus-pocus and went wild about tongues, prophecies, visions, and ecstasies. Paul tried to set them in order, but they said, Let me tell you, Brother Paul, what a spiritual man I am. And let me tell you, Brother Paul, I have the gift of prophecy. There is a frontal attack against the truth of the Bible by those who rail against it and deny it. There's an attack from the rear by those who want to substitute their own experience for the word of God. And there's an attack from the flank. What's the flank? Come on, you guys who are left right side. Left right side, okay. I guess that's your flank. Yeah. My flanks. My flanks are having troubles sometimes. <laughs> These people don't necessarily deny the Bible but they want to replace it or prop it up with psychology and with philosophy and other things as if the Bible itself is not good enough. Friend, the Bible is true and you're, you're looking for truth, you can find it in the Bible. Why? Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Here, this is interesting. The word inspiration, I don't know if you knew this, is used only once in the Bible. Once. But what a magnificent word it is. In Greek, the word is theophanoustos. The word literally means God breathe. Theo means God. Noustos means breathe. The Bible says that all scripture is the breath of God. It is God breathed. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus was talking about the Bible. He said that every word proceeds from the mouth of God. It is not simply that God breathed into the scriptures. God breathed the scriptures out. Yes, he used man such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Matthew, Mark, and Paul. But these men held the pen of God. They were the voice of God as God was speaking. The Bible is true because the God of truth cannot speak error. If you read the Old Testament, you'll find phrases like the word of the Lord or the word of God or God spoke or the Lord said used 3,808 times. If the Bible is not the word of God, it's the biggest bundle of lies that has ever come to planet Earth. But the Bible is absolutely true. The Bible is treasured, treasured. Because the Bible is a timeless book and a truthful book, it should therefore be a treasured book, Psalm 119.72. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Is that true of you? God knows that it's absolutely true of me. If you were to ask me to choose between a huge stack of gold, silver, rubies, diamonds, stocks, and bonds on the one hand, or the word of God on the other, I would not hesitate. I would choose the word of God. Psalm 119.103 says, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Verse 127 says, Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. The Bible is to be a treasured book. The saints and the heroes of our faith have pillowed their heads on the word of God as they walk through the chilly waters of the river of death. The martyrs who died for the witness of Jesus Christ have held to the Bible to their bosom as the creeping flames came around their feet. And by the way, that's how Polycarp went as they burned him at the stake. The members of the early church loved the word of God. They never questioned it and they argued little about it. They preached it, proclaimed it, pronounced it, and poured it forth like white hot lava. They loved it, lived it, practiced it, 
trusted it and obeyed it. They claimed it constantly. Do you know why the Bible is treasured? You've known it for a long time. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's it. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. You'll never have a victorious Christian life if you do not love this book. The Bible is like treasure. Suppose there was buried treasure in your backyard. You go down to the hardware store, you get a spade, if you didn't already have one. The Bible is God's tre treasure book. It is a timeless book. It is a truthful book. Therefore, you must appreciate the virtues of the Word of God. If you don't appreciate the virtues of the Word of God, you're not going to have any desire to understand it. It all starts there. Is it like hid treasure? You know, I could ask... Um, like if I ask Andy or Tim, you want to go disc golf, man, they, they love that. But I ask Abby, maybe, and she's like, well, I'll go. She, she would be nice. She wouldn't say, I don't want to go. She's like, I'll go. <laughs> but it's because it's not like a treasure, not something you're after. Now, that could be a series of things for all of us, but, but the Bible ought to be true for all of us. If we don't have that desire to realize what this book is, and how great it is and what it can do, then you're going to have a hard time studying it. Next is assimilate the vitality of the Word of God. We're in the second column here now. The word vitality means alive. The Bible is a living book. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word powerful comes from the Greek word energis, which means effective. This is the word from which we get our word energy. The Bible is alive. It is effective. In John 6, 63, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. You use... The Bible pulsates with life. For instance, you don't just read a cookbook. You use its instructions to prepare a meal, then you eat it. If you don't assimilate it, no matter how much you appreciate it, what good is it doing for you? Then pray over the Word of God. How do you assimilate the Word of God? Pray over it. Psalm 119.12 says, Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. Have you ever prayed that? Lord God, be my teacher. Pray over the word of God and ask God to teach you. First, your eyes will be open. Read in Psalm 119.18. Open thou my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. God will open your eyes. You may have 20-20 vision, but God has to open your eyes in order to, for you to behold wondrous things in his word. After his resurrection... Jesus walked with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. The Bible says that he began to talk to them about the Old Testament, the law, and the prophets. Then Luke 24, 45 says, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Wouldn't you like God to do that for you? When you pray over the word of God, not only will your eyes be opened, but your heart will be stirred. 119, Psalm 119, 36. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, and not to covetousness. If you don't have a desire for the word of God, then pray. Oh God, please incline mine heart, move my heart, open mine eyes, stir my heart. And then when your eyes are open and your heart is stirred, your mind is going to be enlightened. Psalm 119.73. 
Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. How often is this, how often in sermon preparation have I put down my pencil and bowed my head to say, oh my God, help me to understand this. God, give me understanding. When we pray, our eyes are open, our hearts are moved, and our minds are enlightened to understand the word of God. Ponder the word of God. Psalm 119, 15 says, I will meditate in thy precepts, and I have respect unto thy ways. And then verse 147, I prevented the dawning of the morning, and cried, I hoped in thy word. In other words, he had a quiet time. The psalmist in verse 148 says, Mine eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate in thy word. It takes time to ponder the word of God. If you have to rise an, an hour early to do it, then do it. If you stay up an hour late, do it. Do whatever it takes that you might ponder the word of God. And may I suggest that you ponder the word of God. You keep a pad and, pad and pencil handy. I always read the Bible with a pen or pencil in my hand. Why? Because I'm expecting to receive something. If you're not doing that, it tells me you're not expecting to receive anything. Hmm. If you're expecting to receive something, you should be ready to write it down. You say, I'll remember it. I hope you do, but the weakest ink is better than the best memory. It's such a simple thing to get a pad and a pencil when you open the Bible. You pray over it, you ponder it, and then you get ready for God to speak to you. And when you read the Bible, Use your sanctified common sense. Don't just jump in the middle of a chapter, in the middle of a book somewhere with no plan. The Bible is like any other book in that it contains a number of different forms of speech. You see poetry as poetry. You see prophecy as prophecy. You see precept as precept. You see promise as promise. You see proverb as proverb. This is really good, just sound advice going through here. If you tr try to turn the Proverbs into promises, you'll lose your religion. <laughs> the Proverbs are not promises. They're Proverbs. What is a proverb? A proverb is a general principle that, when generally applied, brings a general result. For example, the book of Proverbs has ways to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. But you can do all those things and get hit by a truck. <laughs> you're not very healthy anymore. <laughs> and you're certainly not wealthy. You left it all. If you've been wise, you would have looked both ways. The Proverbs are good, but don't try to turn the Proverbs into promises. Look at the Bible and consider what you are reading. Ask yourself, is this a precept? Is this a prophecy? Is this poetry? Is this prose? Is this proverb? Is this promise? God gave you a mind, but God doesn't zap you with knowledge. You have the mind of Christ. Use your mind. As you study the Bible, you should ponder it. Some people ask, is the Bible to be interpreted literally or figuratively? The answer is yes. <laughs> the Bible is to be interpreted figur figuratively and literally at the same time. The Bible, for example, is full of symbols. In the book of Revelation, the devil is symbolized as a huge dragon. He has a tail so long that he sweeps a third of the stars from heaven. Today, technology allows us to look billions of light years into outer space. Now, you tell me if there's a dragon with a tail long enough to sweep down all the stars of heaven some billions of light years away. That's a pretty big dragon. This passage is talking about the devil. The stars are the fallen angels that fell. That is symbolism. Let me give you an example of everyday life. When you're driving down the highway and you see the yellow arches, you know that you're approaching a McDonald's. When you see those yellow arches, do you say, oh, that's just a symbol. There's no McDonald's restaurant, and there's no such thing as a hamburger. 
Of course not. The arches are a symbol of reality. You find out what the symbol stands for, and then you literally apply it. When you get the word of God, pray over it, ponder it, then ask to teach you. Ask God to teach you. Here are six age-old questions to ask when studying the word of God. Is there a promise to claim? Is there a lesson to learn? Is there a blessing to enjoy? Is there a command to obey? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a new thought to carry with me? These are great starter questions when preparing a Sunday school lesson or a Bible study. You can take any passage of scripture and ask those questions and you've got you a lesson. I promise you. Just ask these six simple questions as you study the word of God and God will give you the lesson he wants you to learn. Preserve the word of God. After you pray and ponder over the word of God, then you preserve the word of God. Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Verse 16 of that same psalm says, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. That means that you hide the word of God in your heart. You can remember far more than you think you can remember. In fact, we function by memory. Memory comes with concentration, motivation, and use. Your mind is a marvel, and you can remember far more than you think you can remember as you preserve the word of God. And I want to get into that uh, at church here to, to start to memorize some of the word of God. He says, my wife enjoys collecting pretty little boxes. Sometimes people will bring her boxes from other countries. They may be intricately carved or covered in jewels. You see one and say, what a marvelous little box. Then you open it up to look inside. Do you know what's inside that beautiful little box? It contains things like rubber bands, paper clips, toothpicks, <laughs> or an old breath mint. <laughs> Your mind is like that box. God gave you a marvelous mind, and you've got all this junk in it. Your mind can also be compared to a garden. Have you ever noticed how much easier it is to grow weeds than flowers and vegetables? When Adam fell, his mind became a garden of weeds. In order for your mind to preserve the word of God, you have to cultivate your mind. You have to weed your garden. Oh, hear this, gardeners? <laughs> Fill your mind with the word of God so what is inside will flow forth blessing and honor God. Then you have to practice the word of God. Psalm 119, 1 through 5 says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and then seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. It's not enough to recite the promises without obeying the commandments do you want to learn more about the word of God? Then obey the part you already know. That is so simple. Matthew 13, 12. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. The more you obey, the more you will learn. You might be saying to yourself, there's a lot of Bible I don't understand. Do you know that what Mark Twain is reported to have said, it's not that part of the Bible I don't understand that gives me so much trouble. It's the part I do understand. Keep the word of God. There may be mysteries and things you don't understand like the third toe on the left foot of a beast in Revelation. But I will tell you one thing, you can understand, love one another. You can understand when the Bible gives you clear and plain commandments and if you begin to keep the things 
that you do understand, the word of God will become real to you. And here's something that's really important that we, we forget. This is a good part of the word of God, knowing the word of God. Proclaim the word of God. Psalm 119.13 says, With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. Look at verse 27. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts, so shall I talk of thy wondrous works. And in verse 46. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings, and will not be ashamed. And look at verse 172. My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. Let the word of God constantly be in your mouth. Stow it in your heart. Show it in your life. Sow it in the world. The more of the word of God you give away, the more of it that will stick to you. Appropriate the values of the word of God. We're in the third section now. You must appreciate the virtues of the word of God, assimilate the vitality of the word of God, and then appropriate the values of the word of God. When you do that, this knowledge will transform your life, for it is a source of victory. Psalm 119 verse 45 says, And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. Just as Jesus appropriated the word of God to overcome Satan in the wilderness, so you can overcome. The word of God can become your source of victory. It also can become a source of growth. Psalm 119.32 says, I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. A person might come up to me and say, I'm just so weak in my physical life. I can hardly get out of bed. I just don't want to go to work. I'm just so weak. Then I might say, well, what's the matter? Have you been to the doctor? No, he says. Have you got a disease? I don't think so, he says. What are you eating? I have this restaurant I go to on Sundays sometimes, if it's not raining. <clears throat> and I get a meal there. That's all I eat, he says. You mean that's all you eat? You just go to this restaurant on Sunday and you get a meal there? If it's not raining and that's all you eat? Yeah, I'm just so weak. Well, of course he's weak. Friend, a sermon on Sunday is designed just to whet your appetite. If you don't learn how to feed yourself the word of God, you're not going to grow. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.2, 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. It's also a source of joy. Psalm 119.54 says, Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Verse 111. Thy testimonies have I taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. John 15.11. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. The word of God is a source of joy. I notice mom, sometimes she'll just be playing the Bible on her phone just when she has a little bit of time or whatever just constantly just trying to feed it in that's that's one good way of doing that and you get joy out of the word of God it's also a source of power the word of God is your power source for victorious living Hebrews 4:12. for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Psalm 119.28 says, My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according unto thy word. 
It is also, the Bible is a source of guidance. Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We can find our way when we study and meditate upon his word. It may be dark, but his word will show us the way if we trust him. Do you want victory? Do you want growth? Do you want joy? Do you want power? Do you want guidance? Friend, the word of God will give you all these things. You can appropriate them, but you can only appropriate them after you assimilate them, and you can only assimilate them if you appreciate them. I promise you that if you'll do these things, the word of God will transform your life. Now we've got a little bit of time. There's a few it's pretty good study questions here. Tim does this to us, so we'll do it to Tim. How much time per day do you typically spend in the Word of God? How does that commitment compare with the amount of time you spend on other daily activities and habits? Do you feel like you allow yourself adequate time to understand and learn from it each day? Shrink, shrink, shrink. How's that song go? Read your Bible and pray every day. Mm -hmm. Grow, grow, grow. And you don't, you shrink, shrink, shrink. What books, chapters, or sections of the Bible do you find particularly engaging and enriching to you? Does anybody have a comment on that? Does anything stick out? Okay. Anybody else have something that particularly... We like those ones that talk about women too, don't we? <laughs> Sorry, Mom. Uh, okay. What is it exactly about those portions of scriptures that speaks to you so profoundly and personally? She kind of answered that. What other areas of the Bible do you typically avoid in reading and study? Leviticus, the laws, yeah. Ezekiel. Anybody else? Yeah. How might you open yourself to exploring an unfamiliar passage of Scripture, seeing how God could use it to speak to you in unexpected ways? These are open-end questions, many of them. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God, Matthew 4.4. 4. What if your desire for the word of God was akin to those motivations that draw you to the breakfast, lunch, and dinner table? Hmm. Even to the pantry for in-between meal snacks. That's a good thought. That's the kind of desire you need to have. How does meditating on the word of God differ from the more traditional very mystical understanding of meditation that most people think of. Anybody want to give a thought there? Fill in your mind. Yes. I was thinking um, like a worldly meditation is very self-centered 
was about centering yourself in yourself, having your own balance, rather than meditating on God's word. It's like putting your anchor in God's word. Not it's not anything like you. You're anchoring in God's word. Yes, it's kind of interesting. I've before like about the meditation thing. I of it said, no, no, like we often think of meditation as you know, emptying yourself, and that is part of it, and stuff like with the yoga and other stuff. Like I've heard it said, so, no, that it's not necessarily you don't have to do that just to meditate. That's like advanced kind of, <laughs> but it, again, it's like again, it's, it's a lot about being present and focusing and different things, and it's interesting, like contrast that how the devil has his substitutes for everything that God has. And, and with meditation, scriptural meditation again, is focusing on God's word. It's not yourself and your thoughts and being present and this and that, but it's, it's interesting. The devil always has his substitutes for God. And it it's subtle sometimes. And it doesn't always make you feel good. Like when you read scripture, it's like conviction. A lot of times, at least for me, a lot of times it's like conviction doesn't necessarily make you just, you know, you should pray about it and take care of it. And sit like, I don't know, with worldly, it's, yeah, about you and feeling good and how you feel in the moment. And I don't know if that makes sense. What did Mary say when there were some things that the Lord told her? She what? Pondered them in her heart. We've been going through the book of John and trying to put ourselves in the disciples' shoes, trying to, to think of ourselves knowing what only they would know. There had to be a lot of meditation there, didn't there? It's probably written down and just thought upon. You know, those were tough, there were a lot of tough words from the Lord, and that you don't have the answers instantaneously sometimes God doesn't have the answer for you at that time and he didn't with the disciples it was after his resurrection that he gave them the understanding they had pondered him because they knew what he'd said but then all of a sudden they got the understanding and so a lot of times you know I just there's things in the Bible that I think man Lord I'd like to know what that I know there's something there and I just know it's going to be later sometimes Later sometime, God will just, let me show you this, my son. What a wonderful time. Paul said, many of the stories and accounts from the Old Testament are meant to be examples to us. 1 Corinthians 10.6. Ways to learn important spiritual lessons. Consider one or two events from the Old Testament and ponder what you could apply from those. So this is just a thought of how you can look at the Bible. And then the last question, what are some of the specific character traits God is growing and developing in you? It's helpful to see areas of growth in ourselves, not just the cause for discouragement. How can you tie your desire for these qualities directly back to the scripture for inspiration? Now, there is a last chapter of this book, but I'm just going to simply tell you it's the epilogue. It's not how much you know. It's how much you grow. It, this is all about how we grow, and it never ends. You never reach a point where you st stop growing. You continue to grow. God's working on us. And this last chapter is really taking the word of God, really loving it, understanding it, like treasure, going after it, 
spending time giving it priority and letting God work in your heart and life. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, final lesson in your book. We start with the Word of God, we end with the Word of God. And um, what a wonderful book it is. May we love it so much that we just want to proclaim it. Right now, I think sometimes we get nervous about saying things. May we be excited to tell people. People are looking. People understand they can't believe anything in this world. But there is something that can be believed in. We've got it. But we need with our heart to proclaim that. And it needs to be in us. So help us to love this word of God. Uh, what a joy it is to put 43 scriptures of your word up and to go through them and let it speak to our hearts. We honor you by honoring your word. Now help us each tonight in Jesus' name.